I'm Savannah. And I'm Alicia. And this is Burden of Proof. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. It's the holiday season. Whoop de doo. Whoop de doo. I don't think we have like any business on past episodes. So I don't think speak. so. Good news is coming off of Sydney Loof goriness from yeah. last week, today's case will not be so gory. Nope. Because you know me. <laughs> I like them complicated, but either slightly mysterious or right. funny, like Paul Cruz. I do think it's really interesting how we've each developed like a very specific style of case that we like to cover. Yeah. What cracks me up is you do more gory cases and you're the one. I know. Those. I know. <laughs> I know. It's it is weird. I don't know why I do that. <laughs> you love to torture yourself. I do. But I will say it doesn't normally bother me. I've only had one case that I tried to do and then it started to like freak me out with my OCD, not because it's mm -hmm. crime. I mean, crime in general is fine, but like, you know. Anyway. Crime is not fine. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but like with my OCD, I've only had one case that I was just like, nope, I can't do it. I can't do it. And it was shabusiness. I ended up doing it anyway. <laughs> well, I think it probably helps you that you have control. Like when you're the one presenting yes exactly so well and i started to business and then i ended up finishing it at a later date like when i wasn't freaking out yeah 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 i remember that now Shabusiness. Shabusiness. um so holiday season here we are i hope everybody's having a wonderful time of year but i understand it's also kind of a sucky time of year yeah. for some people because of grief and sadness and whatnot. So if that's you, big hugs. We are your family now. Yeah. And I do think it's like a weird parasocial relationship that podcasters have with our listeners because like we truly feel like you guys are our friends and you guys really feel like you're our friends because you yeah. hear us and you, you hear our stories and you hear us talking and you're in on our inside jokes and it's like a it is a friendship in its own way and I love it. Yeah, I was just messaging a couple listeners last night. Yeah, I loved it. It was awesome. I love when you reach out to us. It's fantastic. It is so fun. It's all. It's so fun. And thank you to everybody who had us on their Spotify Wrapped this year. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, we did Spotify Wrapped last year, but it what well, we had we just new. started. Yeah, we had only been a podcast for like a month and a half. <laughs> so yeah. it was really you know this year was awesome to see how much we've grown. It's just cool. And Spotify is like not our number one platform either. So yeah, we were just like, whoa, look at all these people. I love it. It was awesome. So thanks for being here. All right. This is kind of a long one. It surprise, is. surprise, surprise, surprise. It's me. Um, um, so we can jump in unless you have something else. Nope. I know a little bit about this case now. So yeah, my bad. Secret time. I messed up. Secret time. We recorded like 80% of this episode, <laughs> except and it wasn't again, recording. <laughs> we've talked about it before. Yes. The software we use is wonderful, except for one thing. It requires you to click several things to in order to actually start recording. And sometimes when I'm distracted and my ADHD gets in the way, I mess up and don't click all the right things. Well, And then we start recording and at some point look over and go oh crap yeah normally nor red. normally earlier than an hour in though <laughs> yes but you know what it's okay because and i think this is a good time to say this no 
I should say it at the end. I'll say, you know what? Wait, listen to the end and you'll hear my announcement. Ah, okay. All right. So today's case is about Eugene. Uh, well, let me rephrase. I'm focusing on Eugene Christopher Wright, otherwise known as Chris. He goes by Chris because that's the way I chose to do it. So hopefully you can follow along. There's lots of right. people, lots of names, lots of people, players involved, if you will. So definitely reach out to us after the fact if you have any questions. Please And do. I will try to clear it up. Check out the show notes. That would help too. Watch the Dateline episode for any. I cover like most of what the Dateline I think you, thing covers, yeah. but um, there's some details that they put in that I kind of like left out. So if you want more, definitely check that out. And Chris Wright has a website as well. So you can check out his website for updates. I do kind of talk about it, but you can definitely like follow. So right. I think it's, go. it's telling that we include his website. Well, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Okay, so here we go. During the real estate boom of the early 2000s, a former chocolate factory in Salt Lake City, Utah, was turned into an upscale loft condominium building of condominium. I, it's, oh, it's going to smell like chocolate still. That smell never leaves, and it would be amazing. It would be. It, yeah. Do you think somebody ever tried to like what lick the What if the walls are like a scratch and sniff sticker? Like you scratch <laughs> them a little bit. Yeah. Ah. Like, oh, just walls chocolate. would just be covered in scratch marks. You would have to yeah. repaint all the time. Yeah. That's okay. Do you think that somebody ever it. licked the wall to try and see if it still tasted <laughs> like chocolate? I doubt any of this. Everybody <laughs> who works at a chocolate factory listening is saying you're stupid. <laughs> you're dumb. Because it has to be like. Not sterile, but yeah, clean. Yeah, but anyhow, one can dream. Anyway, the building was attractive to anyone seeking something more contemporary than what the rest of the infamously Mormon city had to offer. By 2007, many of the building's residents had become friends and would even conduct business with one another. And I know that Savannah was thinking they were all a bunch of MLM people. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> my go-to when you say it's just a bunch of people in one place doing business together. It's it's very like I always think MLMs. It's incestual. They're all just buying <laughs> from each other's MLMs. <laughs> like I will buy your essential oils if you buy my leggings. If you buy my Mary Kay. If you buy my shampoo. Like it's yeah. all a mess. No, it wasn't that though. There was certainly a wide variety of professionals one could meet there. According to John Fife, one of the very first residents in the building, academics, airline pilots, physicians, a documentary filmmaker, an Olympic speed skater, a mortgage broker, and socialites were among the interesting people you could get to know. One resident no one could forget, though, was David Novak. David is described as nice, charming, funny, and entertaining. Possibly the only thing to top his personal attributes were his professional accomplishments. He was an investor and owner of multiple businesses, and interestingly, his latest projects at the time included a documentary about his life as a convicted felon turned success story, and his consultant firm, that specialized in helping wealthy clients prepare for prison. 
oh, okay, like the Chrisleys. Yeah, like he would have helped. He could yeah. have helped them. Or Martha Stewart. Yes. What's another celebrity that went to jail? Snoop Dogg. No. <laughs> <laughs> Side note. Uh, if y'all haven't heard about it, you know Snoop Dogg has a cookbook now, and his brownies are excellent. <laughs> I'm just gonna, and no, they do not have weed in them, <laughs> but they are still excellent. Okay. So basically, yes, he would assist the clients getting all their affairs in order before they went to serve their time. He would advocate on their behalf to get minimal sentencing and educate their families on what to expect through the process. The inspiration for both the business and the film was, of course, David's own experience when he spent a year in federal prison for mail fraud. No one in the building thought twice about David's background, though. His was an incredible redemption story, and several of the residents fully trusted him and considered him a close friend. Among them was Eugene Christopher Wright, or Chris, and his wife, Bianca. Chris was a successful real estate broker living in the building in 2006 when he met Bianca, a friend of another resident. And the two instantly connected, and within six months, they were married, and Bianca left the UK behind to move to Utah. Oh, that's speedy. Tis, but when you know, you know, I guess. I guess. I mean, to some people, though, especially in Utah, that's probably not very long. <laughs> that's terrible. The Mormons, they, they get married fast. I know. I know. I mean, I don't think they were Mormon. No, they're not. But, you know... When you're surrounded by that culture, it's probably like, oh, okay, this is just what you do. Well, I think in her case, like, she she comes from a wealthy family, and, like, she had traveled the world, oh, okay. and, like, she was kind of one of the socialites that, what's his name, was oh, talking about, I think. I think. Okay. I mean, she does work, but I think, like, she had just lived this lifestyle yeah. of travel and meeting people, and so I think she very much definitely comes across as somebody that, you know... I've always said there's, like, two kinds of people in the world when it comes to marriage. There's, like, the people that when they know, they know. And mm -hmm. then there's the people that are, like, well, this is a good age to get married. Mm -hmm. And they kind of, it's, like, a combination of, like, I have to be at least this old and I have to find the right person yeah. kind of thing. So she was just a... When she knew, she knew, I guess. Listen, I'm not judging. I just, I'm commenting. That was oh, fast. Yeah. It, I think anybody it objectively is. would say that was fast. Yes. Unless you're Mormon, because some of them get married in like a week and a half. I'm not making it up, okay? I believe you. I, I see it I on TikTok. That means you. it's true. <laughs> like, <Okay. laughs> the people at the, I think it's BYU, Mormon, yeah. it's a college, it's mostly Mormon. They'll, like, meet each other, and then in a week, they're engaged. And then, obviously, it takes a minute to, like, arrange a marriage. But, like, so to them, this is long. They would be shocked by my two-and-a-half-year engagement. Fair. And you've already been dating for, like, five years. Five and a half. Yeah. yeah. What's taking you so long? <laughs> no, I'm just <laughs> I'm just kidding. We are babies. Babies. Um, so the couple continued socializing with other residents including David Novak, and eventually David offered to help Chris out on a real estate project by introducing him to a potential investor. 
Networking. Networking. And Chris, of course, took David up on the offer. And then he was introduced to a man named Ken Zolazar. Ken was a businessman and coach to the Utah Valley University hockey team. He had been an investor in David's documentary, lending him close to $2 million. Cha-ching. So did he... So he had already made this documentary? Like, this was out in the public? No, you can, like, watch it? he was working on it. Okay, he was working on it. Supposedly. I'll just say that. <laughs> okay. So the three men continued an interlinked working relationship, discussing the investment opportunity Chris was working on. And strangely enough, though, once introduced, Ken and Chris only met, like, a couple of times to discuss details and the rest of their communication happened through David, even though he was not part of the deal. Yeah, that's kind of odd. Finally, in the fall of 2007, Ken agreed to invest in the project by the end of November. Unfortunately, on November 15th, just a couple weeks before he made the investment... Ken was gunned down in the parking lot of a local restaurant, leaving Chris with no investor. Whoa. Not. I mean, that feels like it was out of nowhere. Yeah. Sorry for the shock. Shock and all. Shock and all. Unfortunately, that wasn't the biggest problem Ken's death would leave with Chris. But first, let's talk about what happened to Ken. On November 14th, 2007, Ken received a call in the morning from a prepaid cell phone he did not know. So he let it go to voicemail. In the message, the caller identified themselves as Robert and asked Ken to call him back to set up a meeting. Fair, okay. I guess. Yeah. But then the caller tried again just 20 minutes later. And this time, Ken took the call in front of his assistant, who later reported he asked which Robert was calling and then agreed to meet the man at the Village Inn restaurant in Sandy, Utah, which is a town just outside of Salt Lake City, the next morning at 7 a.m. Okay. And according to phone records, Ken then received another call from the same prepaid cell phone around 6.30 a.m. on the 15th when he was in the general proximity of the restaurant. The next people to see Ken were Shane Christensen, and Lee Carlson, who were meeting each other at the restaurant to conduct a job interview. Shane was inside waiting for Lee near the front window of the building, and Lee had just pulled in a few minutes before 7. According to Shane's interview with detectives, he was facing the window and saw a white Lincoln Navigator parked facing away from the building. Okay. The next thing Shane noticed was movement to the right corner of the window that looked like someone running. He then heard two loud banging sounds that he described as if someone was hammering on the outside of the building. Just after that, he saw a man running from the area of the noise toward the Lincoln Navigator, which had all four doors open, and he said the man closed the three doors, then got in the driver's seat and took off. All four doors were open? Yes. That's weird. It is. And I'm going to be honest, I never find out 
why why all four why doors were, were open? all four do- because the other witness doesn't say oh i pulled in and noticed that four doors were open on the car like i would notice that i don't like yeah it was weird to me that this guy noticed it that would stand out to you like there's only two people getting out or in the car but then like when well, they're not like getting something out of the yeah vehicle. Oh, okay so i don't know why all four doors were open we don't know okay nobody knows but it was an odd detail. There's a lot of odd details to this case. So he described the man that runs back to the car as medium height, a little husky, light brown to brown wavy shoulder length hair, but admitted that he did not see the man's face at all. Shane went on to say that after the man took off, he and the manager of the restaurant went outside to see what happened. And he talked to another witness who had pulled in driving a copper-colored crossover just moments before the incident occurred. He told the officer some details as to what that conversation entailed, yet minutes later when the officer directly asked if he had any conversations with the man in copper-colored car, he said no, not at all. So did you or did you not? Yeah. So is this just one of those things where you're shook up and so you're not thinking straight or is there more to that? I don't know, but I thought it was worth mentioning. Meanwhile, another detective was interviewing Lee Carlson, who was in fact the man driving the copper-colored car. Lee stated that when he pulled into the parking lot, he saw two men standing at the back of the Lincoln Navigator talking which he thought was weird because it was so cold out. That makes sense. Okay. That would stand out to me, too, thinking, it's really early in the morning and cold, Why? and you're at a restaurant. Like, why not go inside the restaurant and have this conversation? Or in the car. Or stay yeah. in the car. Yeah. So Lee pulled into a parking spot right in front of the building. So he was facing the building, and the men were behind his right like passenger side across the aisle, so to speak. The cars were facing in different directions. I'm with you. Lee told the officer that he decided to wait in his car until he could enter the restaurant at exactly 7 a.m. because he wasn't sure if Shane Christensen was there yet. You know, he's there as an interviewee. Um, I personally would go in a few minutes early, but that's... Maybe not weird for. I would go in early too, but I know that not everybody thinks like that. I guess yeah. like I just think in the context of this case, it's one of it's yet another thing that like could mean nothing. That's just yeah. how that person behaves, or it could seem sus, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's I guess why I pointed out. Within a minute or so of him parking, Lee hears the men's voices getting louder and closer to his car. He sees them walking toward the building on the passenger side of his car as they're arguing, but they don't, like, turn and head inside. Instead, he said the man kind of backing away from the second man was throwing his hands up as if he was saying I don't know I don't know and instead of heading towards the restaurant door to go inside he walked just in front of Lee's car 
and made eye contact with him. He kind of alluded that he felt like maybe because they were in an argument, like after the fact. Yeah. He kind of thought, well, maybe he walked in front of my car because he saw me in the car and he thought, oh, well, we're arguing. Nothing will happen, but it won't escalate because there's a witness here. But Okay, that seems like a reach, but whatever. Yeah. So Lee claimed that he couldn't understand what was being said because he thought they had accents and they looked very Eastern European. He said that the second man then pulled a gun out of his pocket with his right hand and fired one to two shots before Lee ducked down in his car. Understandable that yeah, you would I'm, duck. I'm Somebody ducking. has a gun. I'm ducking, for sure, for sure. And for you're sure. witnessing a shooting, so you're like, oh, God, I hope he didn't see me, because then right, if he doesn't want any witnesses. But Lee claimed that he heard three more shots, and then it got quiet. So he sat up and the two men were gone, but just then he saw the Lincoln Navigator back out and take off. He stated he had already grabbed his phone and started to dial 911, so as soon as the dispatcher answered, he was reciting the license plate number kind of over and over, and and then he told them there's been a shooting. Okay. I think that's a normal thing. Yeah. His description of the shooter was initially somewhat vague. He emphasized that Eastern European thing. He said both men had bulgy eyes. But otherwise, he claimed to not have noticed too many details about the shooter's face because they never looked directly at him. And he said he was distracted by their hair. Lee claimed that the shooter's hair looked like a wig that it was dark shoulder length, but with some gray in it, and pulled back in a ponytail, but he wasn't sure what it was pulled back with. Um, Strange so detail. that's weird. Why would he say that he didn't know what it was <laughs> pulled back with? Well, he didn't. The officer specifically asked why that's important. I don't know. Do you think the officer was like, I'm going to be like... <laughs> We're going to identify this man by his hair tie. Or like he thinks he's going to be like some sort of Sherlock Holmes and be like, we can track him through the hair tie. What was Was he? Was it a red ribbon? (laughs) (laughs) Was it satin or silk? (laughs) And they're just like, no, it was just like a rubber band. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Lee wasn't sure. Well, yeah, because who's paying attention to that? (laughs) When there's like a gun going off? No. Now I will if I ever see a freaking gun. I'm (laughs) going to be like. That's going to be the only thing you notice. I I noticed nothing else, but he he did did have have a red ribbon in his hair. Yes. He had a red scrunchie (laughs) in his bad wig. And I remember this because I have a true crime and they're never going to take me seriously. No. Not at all. I have jury duty coming up, and they're never <gasps> going to take yeah. me seriously. Yeah, I can't no. do it. They're not going to let me on a jury. My right. dad used to be a cop. I work in law. I have a true crime podcast. <laughs> I am every every attorney's worst nightmare. <laughs> like, they're not going to let me on a jury. I mean, if you don't tell them any of that. <laughs> I'm kidding. Be honest. You have to answer any questions. I would love to be on a jury for something interesting. I don't know. If it's something minor. Well, yeah. If it's, like, boring. <laughs> it might not. Anywho. Okay. Back to Lee Carlson and his statement. As he kept talking in his statement, though, after some time, 
He claimed that he did notice that the shooter had a longer nose and he kept reiterating that, you know, they had like bulgy eyes, but he couldn't really say if he had any facial hair even or give any other distinct characteristics. So like the bulgy eyes. Nothing about chin or cheeks or color of eyes. Nothing. They must have nothing. been really bulgy because that's like the only thing he can think of. Yeah. He did say that the shooter was bigger than the victim and estimated his height to be around 6'2 or 6'3. And his final accounts of the event was that he got out of his car and while on the phone with the dispatcher, he and a couple of the men from the restaurant attempted to assist the victim. He also confirmed that he had spoken with the men that came out, but did not say whether he realized that that was Shane Christensen or not. So, at the scene, police arrive, and they found five casings spent from the gun, which they quickly determined was a 9mm. The next piece of evidence they found was Ken's cell phone, which he had saved the voicemail from the day before of the man identifying himself as Robert. And hours later... They were able to recover Ken's Lincoln Navigator when it had been abandoned on a service road to a cemetery north of the crime scene. Oh, I missed that the first time. It was Ken's Lincoln Navigator? Yes. I missed that somehow. It was Ken's car that they, the two men drove Often. road together. They also collected investigators DNA were able to collect Barry. two fingerprints from the outside of the driver's door and one on the inside of the door. Areas of the driver's side of the vehicle, including the steering wheel. I'm throwing you a curveball. Okay. Initially, they actually suspected Ken's stepson. Oh. Because there were issues within the family. Hey. But they quickly ruled him out. Okay. Okay. Then they suspected David Novak. I'm I'm just going to say that that's who I would suspect off the, you know. Yeah, I mean, he had been in close contact with Ken, and he owed him money. Yeah, lots, lots of, of money. He owed him, at the time of the shooting, about $1.6 They had also found out that wasn't the only business dealing that Ken and David had. Um, Ken had also hired David's consultant business and paid them a hefty sum of money. To help get Ken's wife out of prison. Oh, okay. The plot thickens. Yet there was no evidence that she would be released anytime soon or that David had actually done much to help. Okay. You see, Ken's wife, Dee Maurer, and her ex-husband, Thomas, had been convicted of tax fraud using their philanthropy to evade personal taxes while still married. And it had just then caught up to them. Okay. So Ken had paid David Novak thousands of dollars on the false promise that he could secure D a reduced sentence. How this works, like working in the legal field, how any kind of consultant business without being an actual attorney can like promise wonder, people that they're going to negotiate some kind of reduced sentence. I'm not really sure. Do you really think sure. that his consulting business had an attorney on staff? Because I have no otherwise idea. it's UPL all day, every day. Yes. I have no idea, but I do know that David claimed to know like 
high up people, like even a senator or something like that. So it was all about like connections. It was all about helping wealthy people get off the hook. Oh, a, li- a little bit you we know love un- unlicensed yeah. practice of law it's so fun i mean yeah don't get me started okay when police initially spoke with d ken's wife about his murder she said she had talked to ken the night before but she didn't know his day-to-day activities and she didn't know who he yeah. was meeting i mean he's a very wealthy man i feel like that's pretty common in a lot of marriages of that status of like I don't know what you do all day. You just go. Yeah. And she's in prison. So oh, it's, yeah, true. It's not <laughs> so like she's she, not going to know. Yeah, she's not there. She doesn't know. Yeah, I kind of forgot that too. Um, too but many people in jail. Later, she did admit that during their phone conversation that he did mention the meeting and she believed that he was meeting with David Novak that morning. Okay. He said he was meeting with Robert. But it was somebody named Robert that called. And so when police go and listen to the recorded call, because, of course, when she spoke with her husband, it was recorded because she's she's in in prison. prison. It was not clear as to who he was meeting because he just says, I'm meeting my friend in the morning. I'll have more answers by the evening. And she was like, oh, okay." You could tell she knew what he was referring to. But there's no okay. Nobody is named, so that was sort of okay. a, a little bit of a dead end because they just would literally have to take her word for it, and yeah, they don't I, know. I mean, and I mean, she is jail, in prison, so. so you know, for lying for taxes. Yes, detectives though ruled out David Novak fairly quickly. Because of a few things. So let's talk about those things. The first was the cell phone data. They compared David's cell phone location to that of the prepaid cell that the mystery man Robert had called from. Um, okay. They confirmed that the two phones were in different locations when those calls were made to set up the the meeting okay um, okay okay um have you ever and this is just me spitballing have you ever left your phone at home yes but this is weird i know what you're saying and you're absolutely right but the reason that they don't consider i i i guess they just really trusted david novak i suppose um is that it was the prepaid cell phone that came from the location of David's apartment building, not his personal cell phone. His personal cell phone at the time of the calls was somewhere else. Yeah. So they just assume that, right. oh, well, David was out. He, he wasn't, wasn't at home. home, but that cell phone was used somewhere in his building. Which, like, I- I'm going to, okay. Okay. So at this point, they don't know anything about Chris Wright. He hasn't been brought up. Not yet. They don't even know that Chris lives in the same building as David, that this is, you know, this whole thing. Uh, But so you, okay, so you're talking to somebody who lives in this building. Yeah. Then they're, you're, they're suspicious that he may have made this phone call. The phone call was made from this building. But they're like, oh, but But his phone phone was was over here. 
Uh, well, that's one of the reasons. You don't have to have your your personal phone to make a call with a prepaid phone. You could have put your phone in another place. My whole point is like, I, I left my phone at home on Thursday. I mean, he could have left his phone at work. Right. Like if right. he, worked my point. It, if he like, had a separate office somewhere. Right. Or something. Like I left my phone at home on accident on Thursday at work. I still made calls from work just yeah. using a different phone. Yes. Doesn't mean that I was at home i was with my phone at all I, times. I, yeah like I, I okay i feel like this yeah. tangent is like not making any sense but just no 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 i think we phone. all get it yeah it, and you're right i'm I, not saying he did it i'm just saying that it's the, it's sus it's just not not the connection not him <laughs> the the police work the police yeah. work is a little yeah. bit off that's all i'm yeah. saying yeah no i get it uh, we'll explain why we're behaving this, this way in a little bit. You got to get just there. Stick with us. Have you ever Hang heard of there. Casey Anthony? <laughs> Hang in there. Um, so the second thing was that the lead detective on the case was the one that met with David Novak. And he concluded that David Novak did not fit the description given by the eyewitnesses, nor did his voice sound like the voice of Robert who left the the message on Ken's phone? Okay, have you ever seen um Pawn Stars? I, I have I have a point. I think I've like seen part okay. of an episode. They have this fantastic thing where they will just call an expert, like a handwriting expert, and they'll say, Can you look at this and tell me if this is true? There are vocal yeah. experts. Oh, yes. Yes. Now, I would think. That if you were the lead detective on a murder investigation, you would know that maybe you should call. Maybe somebody. you shouldn't decide yeah. that. Maybe because, you should just. Yeah, you just said he just record decided this, record this interview that you're having, and then call up an expert right. and say, "Can you compare this interview with this guy to the voicemail?" Yeah, that would make sense. Right, but that's because an what expert happened. might could say, "Well, I can see how his voice is different in the." voicemail but maybe it's like somebody intentionally changing their voice or whatever no just decided that the voices are different he just decided you know what maybe maybe we should stop talking stop talking crap because he might be a voice expert um i need to see a resume he is not okay (laughs) i can say he is not okay yeah the last thing though maybe this will you know change your mind about the detective it won't um, was that <laughs> there was two, they did not one, but two photographic lineups and showed them to Lee Carlson. Lee did not identify David as the shooter from either of them. Um, but didn't Lee say that he really didn't get a good look? And also, if you've been listening for a while and you've listened to Alicia's amazing case, uh, the exoneration of Kevin Strickland. Yeah. You would know this. Eyewitnesses, not reliable. No. Great corroboration evidence. Yes. Great in saying, oh, look, we have like all this other evidence. There's DNA. Oh, and the eyewitness also says. Right. Even good when the eyewitness knows. Right. Like it's it's more, I won't even say it's great, but it's more reliable if the witness knows the person that they're identifying. Like, oh, I know that, but like, I know everything about the way that person looks. Even that's better 
But even that's not 100%. It's not because have you seen the episode of The Office where Stanley comes back from the hospital and they get him the card and they're like, wait, does Stanley have a mustache? Because this card has a mustache joke. And Jim's like, he doesn't have a mustache. And they spend the whole episode trying to figure out if Stanley has a mustache, even though that's they sit true. with Stanley every single day of their lives. That's and you know true. what? Watching that episode, I was like, does Stanley have a mustache? I know. He does. He does. <laughs> but like, does. my point is, you can't base a case and a conviction or not a conviction, but a charge off of. Or can you? <laughs> Or can you? Uh, okay, moving on. Don't make me say my favorite office quote. <laughs> Which is? You have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> I can fly. <laughs> okay. That is, I think, I think objectively that is the best quote from the office. <laughs> Other than, so, no, God, I no. <laughs> or, I declare bankruptcy. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. Let too. us know your favorite office quotes. <laughs> Okay, so that lead investigator decides, like, nope, it's not David Novak. But by the end of his interview with David, he did uncover a rather important piece of evidence. See, investigators did find out fairly quickly that the prepaid cell phone had been purchased at an AT&T store, but the buyer had used fake information on the form and paid with cash. So. They looked through the store's surveillance footage and narrowed it down as to who it could have been. And when that detective showed a still shot of the footage to David Novak, he told them that that man on camera was his neighbor, Chris Wright. Slow blink. So. And they're just going to believe him? You want to talk about eyewitnesses? Why don't you get the store clerk? Well. Here's a photo lineup, store clerk. Who bought this prepaid cell phone? Well. (laughs) I'm a shut up. (laughs) With that knowledge, the lead detective then showed another photographic lineup to Lee Carlson, who this time pointed out Chris Wright as the shooter, stating he could not be 100% sure, but he was like 80 to 90% sure. I'm like like 80% sure this surgery will fix your heart. So, I'm like 80% sure that I can drive a train. <laughs> fly a plane. Yeah. Oh, I think I could fly a plane. <laughs> My brother can fly a plane. I can fly a plane. So here's the thing. Even though he said he was only 80 to 90% sure, he did seem very certain all of a sudden that the shooter had blue eyes just like Chris, despite the fact that he previously had said nothing about anything other than bulgy eyes. Not that they were light, not that they were dark. Right. He didn't have any other specific things about characteristics, but now he was so certain. Yeah. Those blue eyes. Because Chris does have very piercing blue oh, eyes. I looked him up. I don't think he has bulging eyes at no. all. He I, does thank not. You. Thank you. He because does not. I thought that the entire time. I was like, what are you, what talking, are you talking about? about? This guy's eyes are not bulging. They're not. They're actually pretty deep set. Right. Yeah. Okay. And you know what? You know what, Chris? You're a good-looking guy. I don't like that he's out here saying that you've got... No. Sorry. Okay. Are you, you good? Yeah. Okay. Detectives go, and they speak with Chris for the first time. And he immediately told them that he had negotiated a loan with Ken, 
and that he had done a favor by buying the prepaid cell phone. He was very forthcoming with this information. Yeah, because what? He stated that Ken had asked him to buy the phone and then give it to him, and that while he thought that request was strange, he did it to appease Ken, hoping that to like build that rapport and keep their business transaction smooth, Even, you know, because he was still working up to it. But the lead detective felt Chris's statements were rehearsed or planned. And he pretty much decided at that point that Chris matched both the physical description of the shooter and that his voice matched the voice on the cell phone message left for Ken. So they went and got a search warrant for Chris and Bianca's condo to specifically look for a 9mm gun. And though they did find guns because Chris was a collector, they did not find a 9mm. However, in his nightstand, they found an empty case for a 9mm. Uh, so where's the gun? Where, where does Chris say the gun is? We'll get to that. Yeah, but I want to know now. <laughs> I'm just okay. kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I will say this. Chris explained that the gun was missing, like that okay. it had been missing for some months. Okay. So it's that, been like gone. basically they lost the gun, but he did not officially report that. Well, which yeah, because problematic. It is problematic, but also right now it doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, it does matter because if he had reported it when it happened, yeah, it wouldn't be here. So they entered the case into evidence and arrested Chris, despite his wife claiming that he had been in bed with her on the morning of the November 15th. And there was no way that he could have been all the way over in another town. Yeah. Weeks later, when they still hadn't found the gun and were looking for more solid evidence, someone at the district attorney's office suggested to the lead detective that they should double check the empty case because the manufacturers will often test fire the gun before boxing them and leave the spent casing in the box. So the detective checked it out and said that they found an envelope inside the case with a casing. The ballistics examiner concluded that the casing found in the gun case matched those found at the crime scene. So when they found the case during their search, they didn't notice at the time that it had an envelope with a casing in it. Interestingly enough, apparently not. Okay. Good point. Moving on. (laughs) In other evidence... Comparison of Chris's fingerprints and DNA to those samples taken from the vehicle weren't really a match. The fingerprints in and on the vehicle were not a match, and he was excluded as being the contributor to the DNA found on the steering wheel. So the door handles, the steering wheel, those are the two places that you're going to expect, I mean... I'm not a DNA expert. I'm not a fingerprint expert, obviously. But this is my own speculation that, to me, those would be the two places that, like, you're going to find the most recent of evidence. And, like, maybe the most complete fingerprints because you're holding the steering wheel. You know what I'm saying? But all the other areas were initially inconclusive for Chris's DNA. um, But... Then they retested it and found that he was, quote, a possible contributor. Well, and that comes up a lot because there's so many different, like, 
Oh my gosh. I lost the word. Markers. Yes, markers. There's just so many different markers in DNA that like you're going to find one or two in almost every sample that kind of match. Yeah. And it takes a certain number of them, you know? I'm not a DNA expert. I'm just saying. Yeah, but like that makes sense. I mean. Logic. I will touch on the DNA evidence in the car again. So obviously Chris has been arrested. Right. They have some evidence, but it's not. It's all circumstantial. It's not solid. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. It's not solid. And it's not even good circumstantial evidence. But in, nevertheless. In my opinion. They hold him. He's set for trial. And before we talk about the trial, though, I want to give you some account on what was happening back at the loft building while he's awaiting trial. The Wonka building. The Wonka building. Now, not surprisingly, Chris's wife, Bianca, turned to David Novak as he was thoroughly familiar with the criminal justice system and the court process. Yeah, I mean, that's his that's his job is to help prep people for prison, so you'd think. Mm-hmm. And she said she confided everything she knew about the case as it all was happening. But Bianca insisted from the start that Chris could not have done this, though the neighbors really kind of felt sorry for her because... You know, I mean, like, no matter how well you think you know somebody, you hear he was arrested and then there's, like, even a little bit of evidence. You start to doubt everything you knew about the person and you're like, oh, my gosh. And then they felt really sorry for Bianca thinking, yeah, oh, you just want to believe the best because it's your husband. Right. But they began to doubt Chris's guilt as Bianca continued to point out flaws in the case and was able to explain certain things that genuinely made sense based on what they knew about the couple. So let's talk about some of those things. First, she pointed out that Chris admitted to having been in Ken Dolazar's car weeks prior to the murder. So to her, finding some of his yeah. DNA or a possible match of his DNA, of course, that makes sense. Well, he yeah, was yeah. in the car at some point. They were associated. That makes sense. She questioned the validity of Lee Carlson's identification because he initially stated that both men had accents. And to the point that he couldn't understand, he didn't really understand what was being said. Right. So... um. Chris doesn't have an accent. And Chris is American-born, does not have... He has an American accent. Us Americans, we always say they don't have accents. <laughs> like, we don't have accents. Yeah, but we no, have an American we accent. We have an American accent. Chris had an American accent. One of many American accents. Yes. Lee also admitted that he only caught a glimpse of the shooter's face because he was distracted by their hair which he thought was a wig. And Chris, well, not naturally, he shaves his head down, but he's bald. And Bianca questioned, why would Chris have worn a wig to a meeting with a man that he knew? Well, and why would he have set up a meeting under a different name with somebody that he knew knew and they were working together? And like, if you needed to set up a meeting to kill somebody, you could just say, can you meet me here, buddy? Yeah, I mean, that's not so weird. Like, you could just, think you know this is a recording so they wanted to disguise it or to throw you know if you were playing like that's not so weird to me sorry i'm getting excited and hitting my microphone um but i agree with bianca's question 
I do like, too. Why would he have met Ken wearing a wig when Ken knows what he looks like? He's met him before. And she points out, wouldn't that have set Ken off on like suspicion? Like then Ken's going to not trust. He, they rode in a car together. Like why would Ken pick somebody up that he knows and, but the dude's like disguised? Like what is going on? Yeah. That's just not adding up. And she claims that Ken was a very paranoid person. And she kind of alludes to that is why David Novak was sort of like the middle guy, the middleman between Chris and Ken because Ken trusted David, but he wasn't very trusting of other people, which also would explain why Chris was going to the extent of like buying unidentifiable prepaid phones for this guy because he's trying to gain his trust. Yeah. So, I mean, that does line up, at least from my perspective. That kind of lines up. Yeah. But it's still, you don't know. I'm with you. Another issue was that Lee stated that he saw the shooter grab the gun with his right hand. And this is not something that Lee Carlson has ever stated otherwise. He's never taken it back. He's always said, I saw him grab it with his right hand, pull it out of his jacket, and shoot. Right. And Bianca says that it can't be Chris then because Chris is, quote, staggeringly left-handed. Okay. 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 Imagine trying... To accurately shoot a gun with your non-dominant hand. hand. Yeah. Especially if you're somebody who has no use of your non-dominant. You know, some people are like completely useless. Like, or you're like, I'm kind of like semi-ambidextrous. I can do most things with both hands. And you're not like I couldn't do it. Like Chris collected guns and I'm sure he could shoot well. You know, he probably practiced and whatever, but in none of my sources did it say like, oh, well, he was like a marksman. He had been military trained. Right. Like there was nothing like that to my knowledge. So I I agree. Well, and he also That's wouldn't have had a gun on the on the on the right side of his body. Like and naturally and pulled, you know what I'm that, saying? Like that you is, pull it opposite. They can't see me, but I'm doing yeah. motions. Yeah. Like <laughs> Because when you have a she gun looks in like your she's jacket, doing exercises. <laughs> when you have a gun in your jacket, it's on the opposite side of the hand that you yes. use. So he would have had to have his gun in his right, and he would have had pocket. to think that out ahead, ahead of, time of time and, and plan. Like it just—that's a detail that seems minor on one hand, but on the other hand, no, because who's going to literally? Think like, oh, I'll throw him off oh, my, my trail game, by yeah. by using the opposite hand. Like, well, I don't and know. And you're risking That's... so much because, like, and he hit he hit Ken. It wasn't like he. Oh yeah, he got him. Yeah, he got him. So he it's not him. like he's shooting all over the place and can't control it and blah blah. blah. And like, can you imagine? I, mm. Yeah. Okay. Point made. As far as going back to like the descriptions that Ken. Not Ken, sorry, that Lee Carlson gave in his statements. Bianca holds that, like, Lee's development, if you will, of things just seemed to continue to get more and more detailed every time he met with police. It just, as we've said, that's not how this works. You get your most accurate 
statements from witnesses in the beginning. And after that, it's bias, most likely. Yeah. So we'll leave it at that. And finally, the missing 9mm gun was a major problem for Bianca because she claimed to have lost the gun herself the summer before Ken was killed. She said she lost it before Chris had even met Ken. I can't imagine how frustrating that has to be. Yeah. Because you know she has to feel kind of like, well, if I hadn't lost that gun. Exactly. And that sucks because it's not her fault. No, and like, not. Oh, I hate that because oh, I can't imagine. So she says that she took it out on an outing with some visiting friends to the Great Salt Lake where they did some shooting practice. And she said that she set the gun down on the ground next to her bag and then helped pack up some other stuff, got distracted, forgot she had not put it inside the bag, and then she just picked up her bag and left, Mm -hmm. leaving the gun on the ground. And her proof of that is that her British friends who had been visiting had made a video the following day to show off their gun-wielding experience in America. America. And in it, they laid out all of Chris's gun collection, but the 9mm is nowhere to be seen. Okay. Now, I mean, did this actually prove anything to police and prosecutors? Of course yeah, not. Yeah, no, like, but it, I, I get it, though. Like, yes. it makes sense to me. But it did make sense to her neighbor friends. Right, because the average person is like, okay, tracks. They agreed that losing the gun in that way is absolutely something Bianca would have done. Okay, so this is within character for her. Yes. Um, one of those friends specifically had told Dateline, like, she's a lovely girl, but, quote, she accidentally threw her gorgeous wedding ring away. We had to dig it out of the trash. I was standing there. She can be an absent-minded dingbat. Okay. Those are some strong words, but... Yes, it was evident that, like, they loved her, but, yeah, she is known for losing things. She herself said it was kind of a bone of contention between me and Chris. Well, yeah, that's In our marriage, like, yes. As somebody who lives with somebody who loses things a lot. Yeah. (laughs) It is annoying, but it's also, like, I love you, but... Yeah. I don't know where your keys are. So... One time that Bianca swears she was not absent-minded, though, was when the police came to execute the search warrant. Well, I don't think you could be absent-minded when something that traumatic is happening because they're going through, like, your whole life. That's rude. Yeah. She says that she was sitting right next to the officer who inspected that gun case. Okay. Of the nine millimeter that was missing. Mm -hmm. And she said that when they opened that case and were checking it out, there was absolutely no envelope of a test fire casing in it. Mm -hmm. Of course, the Sandy Police Department denies any allegations that evidence was planted. Oh, yeah, because they're just going to be like, "Uh, yeah, pranked you. It was us. (laughs) Yeah. So, but she is not, she is adamant. It was not there. Yeah. I don't know what they did to, I don't know, but it wasn't there when they looked. You're still, many of Chris and Bianca's friends agreed that the case against Chris wasn't entirely adding up. 
And they all began wondering if someone close to him purposely set Chris up. All of this transpired within just a few weeks, really. And so suspicion as to who that someone was grew after residents Dave and Lisa McCammon had dinner with their best friends in the building, David Novak and his wife. They're besties. Well, Dave and Lisa McCammon thought they were. Oh. The Novaks abruptly announced that they were moving. Okay. And Dave McCammon claims that, well, we were in shock and we questioned it because the Novaks had just put a lot of money into renovating their condo. I mean, really, these condos had, like, just been turned into condos right. not, not too long before all these people moved in. And and yet they, like, completely remodeled their place. So why would you completely remodel your place and then turn around and abruptly leave, right? Well, I have an answer for you, but I'm not allowed to say it. That's right. <laughs> So he says that David's response was, quote, it's just time to go. And this is why my friends could never do anything without me being like, (laughs) what do you mean it's just time to go? That is not a sufficient answer. You're not leaving this table until I get a reason why you're leaving me. Yeah. Well, David Novak did not give any further reasoning. No, not happening. And it was then that they realized that ever since Chris had been arrested, David seemed different. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to put myself in the shoes of of the McCammons. I would have in that moment. I feel like it would have all clicked. I'm not saying what clicked. (laughs) But things things in my brain would have processed. It's making sense that they grew suspicious of them. Right. They said that he seemed nervous or not as social as he had always been. Which is weird because you're a consultant. Your entire job is basically networking. hmm And then the Novak's move happened just as abruptly as their announcement. So that fueled everyone's suspicions even further. So several of the residents in the building began talking about, obviously, the Novak's in general and his past and everything he had said, and they quickly realized that he had shared multiple versions of the same stories with each of them. Of the mail fraud? The mail fraud is and coming possibly back. one of them that was the weirdest was one that he downplayed. He had told everyone some version of his past crime and time in prison, but always claimed it was just a simple mail fraud. That's it. It turned out that it was actually something more like a movie, (laughs) like a thriller movie. And in fact, he had owned a private flying club at the time and used it to run an insurance scam. And right when he was about to be caught through an audit, he attempted to fake his own death. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Now... I did not, like, specifically look up his charges and stuff, so this is just based on my sources that I have in the show notes. So I don't know if he actually, if there was any criminal ties to, like, the whole, like, faking your own death. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure that they said he denies that that's what he was trying to do, 
But like it was fairly evident that that's what he was, was trying, trying to, to do. do. So yeah. allegedly, 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 we'll leave it at that. What is that from? Why are we saying that? Letter Kenny. Yes, <laughs> allegedly. I love Letter Kenny. So they also then found out that it was David who identified Chris in the surveillance photo. Which, like, I feel like he would have said that earlier. He would have been like, oh, I hate that, but I did it, so I know it's true. Yeah, because, I mean, you're being questioned by the police for a murder. I don't know that anybody could or would blame you for saying, like, I'm being questioned for, like, as a murder suspect. They showed me this photo of who is this man in an AT&T store, and I see that it's Chris, so I said that it's Chris. I'm not going to lie. It seems to me that you would share that um, or something, but especially when his wife keeps talking to you about everything going on. Yeah. But, you know. What do I know? What do I know? We know nothing. We are just lowly podcasters. Yes. Our opinion means nothing. It's certainly not worth suing anybody over. I mean. That would just be a waste of money. I'm sure that that was especially infuriating for Bianca because she recalled that it was David that convinced Chris to buy the prepaid cell phone for Ken in the first place. In fact, according to her, Chris had only a few interactions with Ken directly and most of their communication happened through David, including that prepaid phone which she said she believes Chris gave to David, not Ken, with the understanding that David was going to pass it on to Ken. I'm just Ken. Anywhere else I would not be dead. (laughs) If he had just been in his... Mojo Dojo Casa house? Yes. (laughs) Thank you. I knew there... I I was about to say Casa house, but I was like, no, there's more to it than that. Mojo Dojo Casa house. Mojo Dojo. My office has a really bad habit of just going, our job is beach. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So finally, they realized also, because, you know, hindsight's 20-20. These are things that, you know, these people saw happening, but you don't realize until after the fact. And then all the pieces start to fall into place. And you're like, oh, crap. Well, when you're invested in it, and it's like, you know. They also realized that they had been watching David spend tons of money on those home renovations, as well as just living pretty luxuriously in general. Um, But there was no evidence that he was actually working on that documentary that he had borrowed all that money for. Yeah. So where is he getting the money to do the renovations on his? Oh, I guess he's got a consulting firm, but like. But no one knows. And no documentary. But what they do know is that no movie was ever made. Well, and Now we know that for sure. Well, and conveniently, now the guy he owes almost $2 million to is dead. Is dead, That yes. is That is rather convenient for him. So in case you haven't picked up yet, by all of our little joking disclaimers, they are disclaimers, uh, David Novak has never had criminal charges brought against him for this. Um, however... Ken's wife, Dee Maurer, did file a civil suit against him for conspiracy, breach of contract, fraud, and the wrongful death of her husband. In it, she alleged that David Novak paid Chris Wright $25,000 to kill Ken. Now, 
I did not find any evidence or sources that backed up that claim. And David ignored the entire lawsuit. Okay. He just did not respond. So in November of 2011, the court ruled on a default judgment for the breach of contract and fraud claims awarding D $7 million. And then the following year, she motioned to dismiss the conspiracy and wrongful death claims so that the court would just enter a final judgment. Okay. I get that. Sometimes you just got to wrap it up. Yes. On to Chris's trial. Because, yes. I don't want to. He had been arrested. And despite the fact that we're all saying all of this evidence is questionable, they did press charges. And so here we are. I don't want to. Chris's defense team were struck by a number of problems in the case as well. The first one being that investigators didn't seem to dig any deeper into David Novak, even though Dee Maurer, Ken's wife, had been adamant that she didn't know Chris and that she believed Ken was meeting with David that morning. They were also not convinced that Lee Carlson's witness testimony was any good, especially after it was revealed that Lee had taken it upon himself to conduct his own investigation into Chris. What? Side note, I highly recommend, if you, if you really want more details on this case, I recommend watching the interview video of Lee Carlson in his initial statements because, <laughs> dude, is trouble. So his wife starts calling him during the interview and the cop tells him, oh, you can take that. And then he says, no, no, she'll want to know all the details of everything that happened and I'll, I'll just call her back when we're done here. And so they get to a point where the cop has to leave the room anyway to go like discuss it with the other investigator or whatever. And so he tells them, I'm going to be a few minutes. Why don't you take this time to call your wife? And he calls her back and the whole thing is recorded and you can obviously tell dude has lied to his wife, like probably a lot because she didn't believe him. She's like, where are you? Where have you been? And he's like, I told you I was going to have an interview. And then this guy and even after telling her that like dude has been shot in front of him and that he was scared for his own life, she's still kind of like, really? Is that really what happened? <laughs> I'm sorry. I found it hilarious. Like. But also, like, what have you lied to your yeah, wife about? what have about? you done that she doesn't believe you when You're you tell her guilty. something that's just, like, straight up insane? Yes. So, that was quite funny. That And the full videos are on Chris Wright's website. So, you can watch his um, whole interview yeah. as well as And Chris, his, his website will be in our link tree in our bios as well. Yes. Okay. He did his own investigation. Yes. That, so his so, own investigation. So and what I mean by that. That's so inappropriate. Is that he admitted that he took a photo he found of Chris online and photoshopped different wigs and facial hair until it matched what he recalled the shooter looking like. Yes. Your face is exactly <laughs> my thoughts on the matter. I know this is a long pause. I'm genuinely trying to process that information. I'm sorry. Because this is, for the record, this is after we had already like recorded. You know, yeah, we this wasn't is, recording. This is finally this is new information. This is new information. This is genuine reaction. Uh, so, okay. Okay. Yeah. So let me just say, let me just, okay. 
So he openly admits to making a photo of Chris match his memories, making the photo fit. Yeah, like photoshopping a wig and facial hair, changing up, yeah, changing Uh, up things to, yes. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm sure he's not an actual graphic designer, so I'm sure it wasn't good and he couldn't have like, he probably didn't actually change facial features other than those couple of things. But But like you're actively trying to make something fit your memory, it's going to fit. You know what I'm saying? If you're actively Mm -hmm. saying, well, I just need it to look like this. I just need it to look like what I saw. I just need it to look like what I saw. Your brain is going to fill in the blanks and say, this is what you saw. Yes. And... I agree. It. I think that mm, I don't want to get myself in trouble, but like, I think that it is negligent of the officers and the investigators to not instruct him on how to handle eyewitness testimony, and not to tell him like, don't try and tell the story a million times. You know, like this is what it is. I need you to stick with what you remember. I don't like. They shouldn't ask him probing questions. They shouldn't like. There's there's a way to handle eyewitnesses. Yeah. And I don't think that they handled him well at all, clearly, because that was beyond inappropriate. Yeah. So I don't know how much interaction the police officers had with him at that point, but that happened before the trial. So the DA found out, the attorneys, the prosecution found out that this was a thing and they still moved forward. And the defense then, of course, motioned to suppress his testimony. Right. Which, why wasn't it suppressed? The court denied the motion, stating that Lee's first identification was not the product of suggestion. Okay. I I disagree. But Lee's first identification wasn't much. There wasn't much. There really wasn't anything that specifically, like, his first identification, to me... All you had was that dude had an Eastern European accent, except no, he doesn't. Chris doesn't. He was wearing a wig. Okay, but they never found Chris with a wig. They never found a wig. They never found a wig. They never found, like, there's nothing connecting Chris to a wig, period. It. Chris's eyes are not bulgy. No. They're pretty deep set. Take that back. <laughs> his nose, I guess you could call his nose long, but, like, that's not, yeah. eh. It's, it doesn't, it's not so long that it like stands out where everybody that looks at him is going to be like, yeah, he has a long nose. And I, I, and finally, um, literally the only thing that matched was his height. Yeah. Like there aren't other 6'2, six, 6'3 six, guy. That's not like an extraordinary right. height. That's like you're fairly tall for a guy. Like that's all that is. Right. It's not that. It's it, you know you know how I know it can't be that outlandish because I know five I can name five men in my life that are that tall, exactly. So I I don't I I actively don't understand why any of Lee's information was allowed in. None of it seems whatever. Yeah. Well, I'm not a I'm not an attorney. I'm not a judge. So. The trial proceeded on charges of murder and aggravated robbery. So in case you hadn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in case you hadn't put to, like, I haven't even talked about it, is what is Chris's motive? They have no evidence. Right. They have Why no evidence. Why have talked about that? Yeah. They have no evidence that he got paid any money, like, by David Novak or otherwise. 
What is his motive? Well, they charge him with aggravated robbery as if the successful, yes, the successful real estate broker who was living in who was married to somebody, yeah, independently wealthy, yes, married, married to somebody who came from money, living in the most expensive area in the country, one of the most expensive areas in the country to live in, Salt Lake City, Utah. But he needs to commit ro- aggravated, aggravated robbery. robbery. Yep. And 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 wasn't he in does debt. it and he does it before he's about to borrow millions of dollars right. from this guy in an investment. His thing. death actively makes, works against Chris Wright. Yes. So the only the only I'm so thing angry. the only theory that you could come up with, and I don't even know that they did this, was to say that like Maybe somehow Ken tried to back out of it. But even but that, nobody have... talks about that. I'm so mad. I am so can we so, I'm so angry. Let's talk about what the state presented. They I don't pre- I don't want to. I want to be done. <laughs> they presented Lee's identification um, as well as a variety of circumstantial evidence. This included testimony that Chris matched his voice, matched that of the robber in the voicemail. But not from an expert, just from that lead detective and one other lay witness who was unnamed in the court documents. They also provided cell phone data showing that Chris's cell phone was within the same general location as the prepaid cell phone when the two calls were made to Ken the day before the shooting. But it was done in that building. They live in the same building. So what the heck? That's not, you know, that to me, that's not evidence that is conclusive. That's not that's like maybe. They, of course, also had the evidence we already covered through the investigation, um, which was the possible DNA match and the test fire casing. Chris's defense team believed Chris and Bianca of his innocence because, of course, Chris the whole time is like, uh, no, I didn't do this. Using a strategy that pointed to the evidence that it was David who had motive and that David was always the point of communication between Chris and Ken, you know, they're like, for every reason, the only thing that you have more on Chris then on David connecting the dots is the fact that Chris is on video in the AT&T yeah, store. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. That's it. Like everything else could be. And the freaking phone was given to David. Well, yeah, but they say you can't prove that because it's just Chris and Bianca who say and that. And David just said no. They like, never, to my knowledge, they never even went back and interviewed oh David God. again. Yeah. I'm going to write a letter. So. I'm a white woman in America, dear Mr. Hilton. <laughs> so white, it's from white chicks. Oh, <laughs> uh, they also presented testimony that it wasn't unusual for the friends in the building to give keys to each other to look after one another's condos, you know, for when you're traveling or whatever. As neighbors do, yeah. And according to Chris and Bianca... Chris had given a key to David Novak to his apartment. The defense also argued that had investigators not been so quick to clear David as a suspect, they would have connected, like I said, all the same circumstantial evidence as to Chris 
And they pointed out that detectives failed by never comparing David's fingerprints and DNA to that in the vehicle. Right. They also emphasized the fact that Chris had no motive to kill, just as we discussed, and he gained nothing. In fact, he lost by Ken's death. Was it a jury trial or a judicial trial? I believe jury. Okay. Finally, and I'm assuming for financial reasons, but instead of hiring their own expert witness to compare Chris's voice to the voicemail, Chris gave a variety of recordings of his voice for the jury to, yes, jury, (laughs) to answer your question, um, to the jury to compare and had an unbiased lay witness testify that it did not sound like a match. I'm throwing my hands up in exasperation. The trial lasted 10 days and a grand total of 45 witnesses. That's a lot of witnesses. That's a lot of people. The jury found Chris guilty of both murder and aggravated robbery. And the court sentenced him to 15 years to life for the murder and a consecutive five years to life for the aggravated robbery. Now that we said that, two things also in the conspiracy Mm -hmm. realm that I want to point out that I have no way of, like, this is sort of hearsay. Right. Okay. Is that, number one, according to Chris's website, they found out that Shane Christensen, one of the witnesses, the guy who was supposed to interview yes. uh, Lee Carlson for the job that was inside the restaurant, turns out he's related to Dee Maurer, Ken's wife. Ken's wife. He's uh, like a nephew, but like once removed or something. Like okay. he's a very distant relative, but okay. he is related. Now, in that town, I don't know. It might be one of those cities that, like, kind of how Sarasota is. It's a big city, but for a long time, it wasn't really a big city. So it sort of somehow still has a small town feel feel because there's families who have just been there for generations. And so there's a ton of them, et cetera. Could be. Could be nothing. Could be something. The second thing is that according to some of the residents in their loft building, David Novak was known for sort of bragging about all of the highly connected people he knows, Mm -hmm. including state officials or senators or something like that, and connections to an Eastern European or rather Russian mafia. You're joking. No, it's in the Dateline special. You're lying. Nope. So... Because that was a loose end that never made sense to me. Yes. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily David that no, was no, no, no. there. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think I, it was because yeah. it didn't make any sense for it to be. He he might not have matched. They might not have found his DNA. They might not have. Yeah. So I. But again, that's conspiracy. This is so upsetting. He has not been charged. He is not. I need to go take a lap. He's not guilty <laughs> until. No, yeah. I, he is innocent until proven guilty. Right. So. But I thought that was significant. I mean, it's hearsay. So, again, we have no way of no proving way of knowing. it. Um, so Chris's appeals. His first appeal was based on ineffective counsel stating, you know, pretty much that their investigation was lacking. Even their investigation was lacking. And presentation of the voicemail and DNA evidence was not sufficient. The appellate court granted a four-day evidentiary hearing, but subsequently concluded that the defense was not deficient. 
Chris has continued through the appeals process. And so where he is now, according to his website, um, which we said will be linked, he's now represented by attorneys with the Innocence Project since 2021. And while they cannot give a lot of details as they're actively working on the case, his website gave an update in October of this year stating that they filed his Post-Conviction Relief Act in August of 2022, and the Attorney General's office has since filed eight extensions, so they still haven't responded. Right. I will certainly do my best to kind of keep tabs on it, but y'all have access yourself i recommend checking it out i very much think that the evidence i I just can't believe he was convicted i i really am struggling and it's bringing up a lot of longtime listeners know that i have a lot of feelings about um juries in general and um this is just another example of what i think you know i Mm -hmm. sometimes i think that uh i don't know it's all to say this case is very upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, the the reason that we are beating around the bush so much in our opinions and what we think happened is because certain people in this case were not tried or charged and therefore have access to attorneys that can sue people. So <laughs> you're not going to get us. We're not going to say our opinion opinion. My opinion is that Chris is innocent. I... I I will say this. I don't know if I 100% believe that Chris is innocent of literally everything. Like, he didn't know that these people are sketchy, that he didn't, yeah, you know, yeah. like, going to get that cell phone and stuff. I don't know that I buy that he was that naive, but I do believe that none of this evidence would have been enough for me. If I had been on that jury, right, I could not convict a man of murder based on that evidence. Right. I just couldn't. I don't think I could either. And I don't know that I believe that he actually had anything to do with the murder. He might have been just caught up in I some think, sort yeah. of like it, sketchy you know, business crap. Right. And then you get in with the wrong people. And yes, it's very easy for them to set you up. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend. I, like I said, this is not. I didn't say this, but I'm saying now. This is Alicia's case. I didn't do the research. I'm, you know, having you're having my lovely reactions here. I don't I'm not going to pretend to understand enough about their businesses and their practices to to know what's going on behind the scenes. Right. But this is really upsetting to me. And this is when the justice system starts to, like, stress me out because I'm like, how did we end up here? Yeah. And um, Chris's website is going to be linked in our bio. The Innocence Project will be linked in our bio. Everything's going to be linked in the show notes. Um. I have done some browsing on Chris's website. There are things you can do to support him and his case. Yes. We are going to write a letter <laughs> because that's how I show uh, that's just part yeah. of it. I I don't want to do this anymore. This <laughs> is making me so angry. I'm, <laughs> I'm so sorry. upset. Like, it, you did such a great job, you know, covering it. And this is the kind of case that we need to cover and bring attention to. And yeah. Well, for my man, he ain't do nothing. Yeah. So I'm also a big believer that when people claim that they're innocent and they stick to it for all these years, ain't nobody sitting in jail claim like continuously paying for a website, 
continuously. And his wife has stuck by him all these years. Right. After meeting him in six months and marrying him and they were, were married, like they met in 2006. This all happened in 2007. They weren't even married. They were married for like a year. Nobody's going to stick by that if they have even a shred of doubt that right. he's guilty. Like, oh, yeah. gosh. All so, right, you guys. Well, we highly recommend you do your own oh. research. You read it. Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, wait. It's that emoji was- time. Yeah, it's emoji time. And I picked emojis ahead of time, not on the fly. I was very, very conscientious of scrambling. this. So if you made it this far which hopefully you have. This is extra long and I'm so sorry. But if you've made it this far in the episode, drop us an apartment building emoji okay, okay. on social media if you believe that Chris is innocent. Okay. A cell phone emoji if you think he's guilty or a shrugging emoji if you're not sure. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There you go. We'll see what the listeners think. Yes. All right. Well, until next week, even closer to Christmas. Yes. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com. My brother can fly and land a plane. I would be more confident in trains than planes. <laughs> well, yeah, because you don't have to do anything on a train. You just, it's on a track. Well, I know. So I'm saying I might only be like 60% sure I could fly the plane, but I'd be like 80 to 90% sure I could right. <laughs> drive a train. I'm I'm 80% sure that I could fly a plane only because I am 100% sure that my brother can because I've seen him do it. And if he can do it, I can almost do it for sure. That's kind of how our lives are. He's way smarter than me. So if he can do it, I'm like really close to being able to do it for sure. With no training. He had um like watched a simulating video for like an hour and then they let him fly a plane. Who let him fly a plane? A, a, we got him flight lessons for his birthday last oh, year. Oh, well, that's it, it was, was an lesson, instructor. But but like he was doing it though. Well, yeah, because you gotta it's hands-on training. I know. So. They just let... Right, listen, the amount of people they'll just let fly a plane. I mean, <laughs> you I don't just, even have to be 18. I can just sign up for lessons. Like, that's a thing. Yeah. I know. I, I'm I'm joking. I know you are, but I'm just <laughs> saying. I was kind of like, oh, okay, I guess you can just, like, do that. <laughs> ah.